Welcome to episode 10 of Do You Know What? And thank you so much for joining us. My name is Rebecca Singerman-Knight, and as usual, I am joined here by my co-hosts and friends, Rabbi Charlie Beginsky and Leo Mindell. So, Rabbi Charlie, we are recording this the day after Mother's Day. Did you get lots? So I had a really interesting Mother's Day in that my kids decided that they really wanted to take charge. So my eldest is 12, but he was at school. So the two girls who are 10 and 8 went to Sainsbury's for their first time, armed obviously with money from me, with a tenner to buy me a Mother's Day present. Obviously at the moment there's not much open, so Sainsbury's was about the extent of their um, shopping experience. But, um, oh well, maybe I'll ask you to have some guesses as to what they uh, managed to come up with. They have a very strange idea about what is my favourite chocolate, but don't let them. Okay, so it's not just chocolate and flowers then? It wasn't just chocolate and flowers, no. And there's the the episode name right there. Leo, I don't know, any guesses? I'm struggling to think. What I think... Charlie's kids bought chai for Mother's Day. Armed with a tenner. Armed with a tenner. It's got to be a box of roses. No, you're no, very it's not close, though. flowers or chocolates. No, I would have thought they chocolate. actually went out and oh. bought something that they want that have got nothing to you whatsoever. So they would have gone and bought something that they're, their favourite. No, it's going to be no. something even more. Heroes. No, it's not no. going to be something like that. It's going to be more something like they went and bought Kit Kats because they like Kit Kats. I would have loved Kit Kats. Instead, I got Frere Rocher because they looked Ooh, posh. Oh, Monsieur, with these Rocher, you're really spoiling us. I got... Um, a pink face mask in a sachet which looked like it might take off half my skin with it and um, when you say face mask you mean like something that helps your face as opposed to stops you getting the coronavirus because face mask has two different meanings in this day and age it does i think i would have preferred the latter actually than the former it really was quite disturbing and I got room spray room spray are they trying to tell you something I don't know if that's something also, to do sorry, with the can I just dog? say a face mask under a face mask like to do your skin under a tenner ooh oh no and I got two of them oh <laughs> yeah so, yeah use it on your dog counts. Charlie don't use it on your skin so, so just so we understand this um they went on their own or Richard took them? No, no. They went on their own. They went on right. their own okay. to Sainsbury's. And do you think they literally held their breath in going in, found this thing that sort of will do, <laughs> and then sort of walked out as fast as quickly as possible and that would be it? No, yeah, but hang they on a minute. Sorry, the use, wanna... Hang on a second. They engaged the use of one of the shop assistants yep. to make them add things up to do this and then left, the elder one left the younger one guarding their produce with this woman and um, went to... Um, get another one because they still had some money left. And okay, I, hang on. I just want to clarify something. So they went with £10. You got yeah. two pink face masks. Uh-huh. You got Ferrero Rocher. Yeah. You got some room spray. Yes. I'm still I'm still flabbergasted by how cheap those face masks were if all of this was under a tenner. I'm sorry, I can't actually get over that. And a card with a badge on it. Number one, mum. And um, I got breakfast in bed and oh my something goodness. almost resembling coffee. Well, your kids obviously strike a really hard bargain because that's well, really impressive. Cassia has started a perfume business. She came up to me the other day with a business proposal. She's eight literally with a business proposal go girl and she's been flogging perfume that she makes out of um you know the oil that you put in those incense burners and vodka 
It's got vodka in it and almond oil. And she, she's made about 50 quid. Gosh. I'm not sure well, actually why I had to give her money for her Mother's Day present. So this is what, selling, yeah, it exactly. her, You're missing to selling it to her friends? No, 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 no. She's only selling it to people with money. So she was on the phone doing quite a strong business bit deal with my parents. Right. Okay. That reminds me of when I was a soft touch because it's like granddaughter selling. uh, Yes. yes, We'll buy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's picking her market there. Richard's bought three bottles of it, but he's slightly offended because he was her business manager and she's fired him. (laughs) Yeah, I like it. I like her style. She takes no prisoners. It reminds me of my daughter when I took her to my graduation. She was five years old. This was a very long time ago. And we were at the reception after the graduation service and she decided she was going to start selling people the free drinks. So she was basically taking the free drinks from the table and going around and charging everyone 50p for for, for a glass of champagne. That was actually complimentary. But I was also similarly impressed. So what what's actually super strange, she didn't work out that she could have actually given you her Duff product as Mother's Days and pocketed the £10 note. I'm allergic to her perfume. <laughs> <laughs> I can't see why that would stop her. I think we need to bring this um, fascinating chat to a swift end and introduce our guest before he will- loses the will to live. So today we're really, really uh, delighted to welcome from BBC Radio 2, OJ Borg. Thank you for joining us, OJ. Welcome. No, I loved that. I-, I loved all of that. It was great to be a fly on the wall to hear the fact that Charlie Baginski's house is basically an ambassador's party. I love it with the Ferrero Rocher. What a wonderful thing. Uh, how much is the perfume? I do need to get an extra mother. Day present. It's only five pounds and three pence. Ooh, the th- what? Okay, for how much? How much do I get in a bottle? It's about. Oh, I don't even know what sizing is. I can wave my hands. It's about the size of your hand. Okay. But what does it actually smell like, Charlie? She does a personalised system where she phones you and she talks you through the wow. different flavours and the strength, and then she personalises it. And you do get a little letter in there from her um, with your with your perfume, um, and it's signed. I'm so in. Put me down for a bottle. How do Dance, I pay you? Is, is there a... over the bank transfer. Bank, you know. tra- bank transfer. No one does checks anymore, do they? <laughs> so where's the five pounds and three pence? There has to be a reason behind the three pence. She no, figured clever. it sounded that's more... Yeah. Yeah, she that's liked the it. Makes it. It makes it sort of like seem like it's more exact rather than just kind of rounding up or down. So now I'm, I'm super impressed with this eight-year-old. Yeah. She did in her business plan break down all her costs and how many she'd need to sell. She is slightly worried about her tax return and whether um, she needs to do a self-assessment. I'll send her my way. I can help with that. (laughs) Anyway, so, OJ, as I said, thank you for joining us and thank you for showing interest in this kind of rather random conversation that we're having about Charlie's daughter's perfume business. It's great to be here. Tell the listeners, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? So you're on Radio 2. Tell us about your show. Tell us how long you've been there. Anything else that may be of interest? Oh, God, that's the hardest question in the world, isn't it? Tell someone about yourself. I mean, it involves being very forward. I've been at Radio 2 on the show I'm doing now for coming up to three years. So I work between midnight and three. I've been pushing this whole I'm the most famous man in the UK between the hours of midnight and three although it has yet to be proved one way or the other uh, I'm currently turning Tideness into an art form which luckily radio being an audio um, an audio medium means that no one can see the humongous bags I have under my eyes and 
most of the time because when I first took the job, my wife told we moved, we decided to buy a new house, so which we were going to have to do up. And then my wife told me about a week after that that she was pregnant with our second. So therefore, for the entirety of me doing this show, I have been just a walking husk of a human being. And as I oh say, trying goodness. to turn Titus into an art form. But it's a lovely show we do. And that's how I met Charlie because Charlie does our pause for thoughts. And she is possibly, I mean, don't tell the other ones, Charlie, but I think you're my favourite. Okay, don't tell anyone else that I said that. Um, And it was wonderful. And she, off the back of that, said, would you like to come on our podcast? And I said, of course. But having listened to your podcast and the esteemed guest you have on, I'm worried that, I, you know, I am nervous about this conversation. I'm nervous about this conversation. We'll get gentle on you. Don't worry. I always find... Um, when you're actually not doing something that's actually your usual way of doing it, even mm. if you are a broadcaster, to suddenly be on somebody else's show, you suddenly go, hold on a minute, I've got the mm. frights. And you, when you're sitting the other side of it, you're going, I don't know what you're worried about. I don't know oh, what you're worried about. Why, yeah. why you, you know, in the last year, I've uh, managed and produced somewhere region of 100 plus live events. Show and off. none of them have I been sitting there worried? I was then on a live event on Friday where I was actually sitting there talking about stuff and you're suddenly going, yeah. oh, I've got it's to like actually a, sound, sound intelligent, which, yeah, which the, I got a lot of praise. Uh, I was very ni- it was very nice that uh, Charlie and Rebecca both were uh, heaped on the praise after I received praise from other people on Friday. They, they yeah, were, more praise. Stroke, I need more praise. You have I assume I assume sarcasm style emojis mean praise. That's the only thing I can assume. <laughs> It's take, the lack of control. Take how you want them. <laughs> it comes down to the lack of control. Like I can, I can do a radio show pretty much, you know, with my quite literally with my eyes closed. Sometimes I have fallen asleep during songs. <laughs> yes, I, I have been nudged by a producer during a long song. We played Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell, the full version, which is seven odd minutes. And I was getting really into it. I sort of lay back in my chair. I was like, oh, let the music wash over me. And then I've, I felt a nudge and my producer was like, OJ, do you want to wake up? Because there's 30 seconds left of the song. So, so yeah, and it is one of those. It's, and I also, but I, I worry, uh, I spend a lot of my time worrying about offending people, which is really weird because when I was younger, I didn't mind offending anyone at all. But the older I've got, I worry about offending people or saying the wrong thing. And I, and I do worry about that. And I think that's sometimes why when you're on your home ground, when you, when you know where you are and you're in control of the situation, you sort of you sort of know your boundaries you know where you're going to go and then that's why it's not a bad thing being nervous about doing stuff is good nerves means that you are still excited about doing things so hence that's why I think I had a few butterflies coming on your podcast but you have religious figures on your show all the time do you worry about offending them yes all the time all the time I will I will sometimes like I was chatting to a Benedictine monk last night and Gosh. we ended up bizarrely getting onto what you what he wears under his habit you know and he he made the comment that you know sometimes they wear the same thing that a, that a Scotsman wears under his kilt and I was literally I know exactly and he said well we'll talk no more about it and then when we'd finished afterwards I sort of said was that fine you know was that fine what I asked you went yeah yeah don't worry about it but I I constantly worry that I will put my foot in it and I will I will offend someone from a religious background I, I worry about offending everyone. I, I worry about it all the is time. Is that part of the? Is that part of the current sort of climate though, where you know people rush to take offence over yes, yeah, almost absolutely. anything? Oh God, and absolutely. And it's very easy to 
get yourself into hot water on Twitter and things, isn't it? it? It is. I mean, the thing I think a lot of people forget about Twitter is the fact that Twitter is a broadcasting method like anything else. You should always, you know, if you're not prepared to say it to somebody's face, if you're not prepared to say it on a radio station, if you're not prepared to write it in a newspaper, don't write it on Twitter. Don't do that. And I think the problem with social media is you you can sometimes have a lot of smoke blown up certain parts of you. And I think you can, you can end up getting into a headspace where you feel like you can say anything or you've got to write some wrongs. But realistically, I mean, don't. If you're not going to say it to someone's face, Yeah, but the problem is some people it. are anonymous on Twitter, aren't they? They and are. Then, there's a, and there's a really then good they quote. really can... Go on. There's a really good quote from Mike Tyson, which is social media... I, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing slightly because I can't totally remember it, but he says social media has stopped people realising that if you offend someone, you're going to get punched in the face. I mean, that's the quote is basically when you're anonymous and you're a, you're a keyboard warrior or an internet Rambo, whatever you are, you wouldn't say it to someone's face. And that is the, the, the anonymousness of the internet, I think, has made people say things that they wouldn't say anywhere yeah, else. Absolutely. absolutely. wouldn't say anywhere else. It reminds me of that greeting card that came out a few years ago. I think this was even before social media, but it was when the internet was becoming a thing. And it was just that greeting card with a dog on the computer. And it's like, on the internet, nobody knows you're a dog. <laughs> Um, but that was quite precedent, prescient, actually, because I think that was before the kind of rampant social media abuse that you can get. A good example of something like that was um, Quora. I don't know if you ever read the uh, questions that come up. Someone posted a question last week on there that was, did Americans invent the English language? And the interesting point of it was it was one of the very few non-anonymous questions on there. And sometimes you look at the questions that come across that thing and you're going are you really asking these questions? Are you really, really asking these questions? Where do, where do they come from? It's like, and I wonder if half of the time they're asking these questions, it's just to provoke oh, yeah. complete mm, rage like at a question yeah. like that. It's like, are you, are you that mad? But there's no middle ground, is there? There's no middle no. ground when it comes to social media. There's no middle ground, I feel, sometimes when it comes to having any form of conversation nowadays. Because what you have is you've either got to have no opinion or have opinion that is so strong or say something that's so outlandish to make some sort of splash. Because there's there's a whole world of podcasts, the whole world of social media that you you almost need to push the boundaries to, to impress people. And I think we've maybe always been a bit like that. We always like to feel like we're important, that we're saying something and people are listening. But I remember at the start of the coronavirus, we had a friend of a friend who said something quite outrageous about what might happen when 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 everything was starting. I think we didn't totally know where we were going or how bad it was going to get or they were talking about it being worse. And the person who said it, realistically, it was a very much an over-dramatised version of what she thought might happen. And she was somebody who worked in the medical world. And I remember at the time thinking, but you're saying that because you wanted a friend or, or somebody to... Well, can I just say, Charlie, I love your hair, by the way. I don't think I've ever seen it up, and I love your hair. Uh, and she it's said, not up, it's cut. It's cut. I know, it's cut I love it. And I love the fact that her mum knows about it now. Um, yeah, she said something which was over-dramatic. <laughs> My dad said to me yesterday, I love your hair. My dad! Is this the haircut that you talked about on OJ's uh, yeah, it is. Uh, conversation? conversation a couple of weeks ago when you said uh, everybody's going to know apart from my mother but she's going to be listening to this <laughs> no, yeah. I love the fact I outed your haircut so, 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 social media is a lot like Charlie's hair you have to sometimes go dramatic to make an impact with your mother it's so true <laughs> That's it. We're all downhill from here now. <laughs> That's a peak, peak. My daughter has matching. Right 15 minutes in. One of your daughters uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, asked to have half of her hair shaved off, didn't she? Yes, my daughter, my middle daughter, Eliana. Not the businesswoman, the uh, patriarchy fighting, yellow DM'd. <laughs> 
patchwork dungareed um, daughter has uh, her uh, head shaved as well. And how's that gone down at her school now she's gone back? Um, in fact, she started a trend. A couple of the other girls have done Good. it too, which she's absolutely appalled by. Um, she, this dog... We have now got. I just think. I just think the uh, the <laughs> listeners need to know that we have now been joined by our fourth guest. Uh, uh, sorry, our, yeah, and our second guest, our fifth fifth presenter, Charlie's dog. Can I just point out Charlie's dog? If you remember watching the Labyrinth from years and years ago, do you remember the film? It was a, a Jim Henson production. Vaguely. Yeah, it had David Bowie in a pair of tights with a rather suspect looking oh, pair yeah, of tights. Right? I do he, remember that. He yeah. rotated his balls on his hand. If you remember the glass balls, just to clarify yeah, that yeah, before yeah. anybody. Really yeah, um, but the dog in it looks exactly like Charlie's dog. Oh, I only know because one of my, my oldest daughter first. started watching the bigger, Labyrinth. If I remember rightly, the oh. Labyrinth, the dog was very big in the Labyrinth. He, well, yeah, he was, but uh, no, no, he wasn't that big. He was a normal-sized dog because it was the dog of the main character. I mean, right. that programme is really dark. I mean, I remember watching it as a kid and loving it and thinking it was brilliant and then watching it as an adult and you're like, whoa, A, yeah, David Bowie can't act. Yeah, quite often that happens, though, doesn't it? When you, really go back to things as, when you go back to things as an adult, sometimes you realise quite how dark or just wrong they are. I mean, obviously, there's the Captain Pugwash, right? Do you remember? Do you remember Pugwash, Leo? Uh, yeah, yeah, very much so, very much so. Um, I, in fact, I was asked I, on a show I was on at the weekend. I was on a um, a live show where they had 150 guests in uh, wow. three hours. Um, That's a lot of them. guests. It was That's a it lot was. of guests. Questions you had to answer. You had to give a shout out to somebody else, but you then had to um, tell everybody what your breakfast cereal when you were growing up was and your breakfast cartoon that you prefer when oh, yeah, you were yeah. growing up so that was a quite an interesting one what was your cartoon uh, my cartoon well i did too you know you can't yeah <laughs> so the cartoon of growing up was donald duck because i can actually do the voice but which i'm not going to do now although i'm now i can do the voice but i won't so uh please leo you have to do the voice um uh, you, you can't do it when you're smiling <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll do it in a second. Oh, I tell you what, tell you what, wait until just a random moment and then the answer to a question, do it in a Don Do it when voice. we get to the serious bit. We've got to get to the serious bit soon, so just like, yeah. So the other cartoon I talked about was Pinky in the Brain. I love what? Pink in the Brain. Pink in the Brain. Pink in the Brain. Although it was brilliant. slightly older than when I was growing up. It was, uh, it was just Leo a... Re- it all the time. Yeah, yeah, it's just... Uh, it's wonderful. What, well, it's, as I say to Charlie on a regular basis, you know, Charlie, what are we going to do tomorrow? We're going to try Pink. and... Go on. No, go on, you do it. Well, we're going to take... We're going to do what we do every night, Pinky. We're going to take over the world. There was that... What, and then, I'm more and interested in what your breakfast cereal was. Well, it was an American show, so... I was sitting there going, I'm, I've never really been a great breakfast cereal person, but I did um, Frosties because uh, oh, yeah. they're great. We got Tony Tiger. Where's Donald Duck? Did not think this would happen when I appeared on this podcast. Come and join some Jews on the podcast and listen to that. Charlie, you weren't allowed Frosties. No, when you said breakfast cereal, yeah, AJ wasn't allowed it either. Uh, we were only allowed it when we were like on holiday yeah, or something. Yeah, exactly. It's like a special a treat. That's so, it, so yeah. My, and you get the little ones, the little boxes. Yes, I was, I was never ones. allowed a big box of Frosties. So, but if, yeah, yeah, if, we, exactly. if we bought the variety pack, then That's if there was a Ricicles or there was or there was a Frosties. But we were also only allowed sweets at weekends. Mm. We had sweetie days, so only at weekends. But the closest we got to breakfast cereal was Alpen. 
that was our like when I was going out with my sister once one of us stupidly said we like Weetabix Uh, listening to this my parents went and went to then Booker's or Cash and Carry, whatever it was, and bought the biggest enormous box of Weetabix that you've ever seen. In fact, there is a picture of me using the box on top of my go-kart as the as like as a pretend car. It's that big. I thought you were going to say eating the box because it was tastier than the Weetabix. We basically had Weetabix for so long, months, and we're just eating, and we couldn't eat it. We couldn't eat it. No, and no, it was no. like, you know when you've eaten something so much you really, really hate it? Well, that was after about a month. And it was like, and, and it was on and on and on and on. Eventually, we've, the only saving grace was when the mice found the bloody stuff because we just couldn't eat it. AJ, what, what do your kids have for breakfast? What's your kids' favourite breakfast? Uh, what are their favourite breakfasts and what do they have yeah. for breakfast? No, what would they like to have for oh, breakfast? Like, so, so I don't get up with them in the week because obviously I'm working until three o'clock in the morning. And I, hear a lot of, I hear a lot of breakfast times when I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> trying to sleep through it which is getting more and more impossible um but uh, no the weekend i cook on pancakes and they have nutella on pancakes and i think a little bit like you charlie it's like i did not get sweets as a kid not through anything other not you know my mum just didn't really do treats you know she was a vegetarian bit of a hippie uh, my treat for a long time was a spoonful of molasses of which i still hold against her massively for giving me molasses as a <laughs> treat yes. Ma- yeah um so no they get nutella on pancakes for the weekend and nice. i but, but i can't work out i mean we've got friends who don't do anything like that you know Nutella on pancakes is like a treat on a birthday and I'm like wow it's Saturday morning let's 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 Nutella up some pancakes I did pancakes most Saturday mornings yeah oh see since lockdown we have full cooked breakfast on Saturday morning because I could never do that for the kids because it was like straight out the door to synagogue and Mm. they had religion school whereas now religion school's online if I'm taking services I'm doing it online so they sit there (laughs) เฮ้ยเฮ้ยเฮ้ยเฮ้ยเฮ้ยเฮ้ยเฮ้ยเฮ้ยเฮ้ยเฮ้ยเฮ้ยเฮ้ยเฮ้ยเฮ้ยเ
What, the Jewish history of molasses? There's a Jewish history of molasses? Should I know this? Should I know this? Molasses is date honey. I thought molasses was... I thought. Hang on, I thought... Unless I'm mistaken what molasses is, I thought molasses was raw sugar cane. I thought it's date honey. I have no idea what it is, if that helps. I think it's date honey. And date honey, which Charlie's now going to tell us because her her rabbi... No idea what you're talking about. I, so, I, so I have I have just Googled it. I don't, I don't like to do this sort of thing, yeah, but I've just Googled am it. Am I wrong? Am I allowed to come on somebody's yeah, podcast please, and tell yes, them they're wrong? Please, please, yes, please. Okay. Yes. okay, Leo, you're wrong. Uh, molasses, and I'm just going to give you the Wikipedia explanation now, or black treacle is a viscous product resulting from refining sugar cane or sugar beets so into sugar. what is... Why, we're going to cut this all out. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, the good thing is when an editor... When, when the person who's doing the editing makes the mistake, it's, it's gone. It's gone. What's, what's, uh, what's, what's date honey called? Let me Google that I've for you, sir. I've never heard of it. What is date honey? Right, so... The land of milk and honey is not honey from bees. It's from so, dates. Yes. Uh, okay, so and I'm on date want, honey. Date honey. And if you want to know where I heard that, it was on a KLS sermon <laughs> by Danny. Okay, when? so date honey or date syrup or date molasses. It is called date molasses or date rub. Uh-oh. <laughs> Um, I can't. I can't. I, I can't read back. Hebrew. There you go. Look at that. Date molasses. I am back in the room. Okay. <laughs> back but, in the room. Are we going to talk serious stuff today? No, we, we, we haven't talked talk? serious stuff ever. But okay. date molasses. <laughs> if I'm right, this is we we are breaking theological boundaries here. Date molasses. Uh, Rabbi Danny Rich in a sermon said that the land of milk and honey came from honey meaning date molasses, not honey as we know today. Well, thank you for that spiritual uplifting piece of information, Leah. Charlie, are you going to go against Danny? No, no, especially (laughs) Danny is our resident um, ornithologist and um, animal expert. So if Danny says it's true, it it must be true. I went on a walk with Danny on Friday, actually, and he introduced me to all the birds of... Hemel Hempstead Canal. Oh, how many birds are there there? What's on a Hem, Hem, Hemel Hempstead Canal? Um, one that's yellow and one that's not yellow. Oh, that's my favourite. You weren't paying attention, were you, Charlie? <laughs> <laughs> I really wasn't. I, I was trying to stop the yellow. dog from jumping into the canal. So we're recording this on the Monday after the weekend in which the vigil at Clapham Common was uh, broken up by uh, the Met Police and all of the controversy and comments around that. So, Charlie, what are your thoughts? My thoughts still feel quite complicated. And um, I think one of the things I've been thinking about a lot this weekend and through discussions with my partner, actually, who has a who has a daughter um, who's 17, um, is the However much as a man, you may be very supportive of the women in your life and believe in equality and egalitarianism and all of that, it is really difficult to comprehend what growing up as a young woman or then a woman and interacting society is like as a woman. I think there's no way of trying to explain to somebody what it was like from the age of, I remember walking to school at 11, and being harassed by um, by men of crossing over of my automatic reactions now of walking home. You know, there was one tweet about keys in hand, um, about the places that you avoid, and we were having this conversation about should um, should men be um, not be able to be on the streets between six and nine o'clock? 
And originally, you know, it had been a bit of a joke. And I, I was like, well, actually, there are quite a lot of women who feel like they're hours when they can't be on the streets and walk around. And it's, it doesn't matter, I think, how supportive you are of the women. It's very difficult to know how that's become so ingrained in us. And that for me has been going round and round in my head that it's not just one woman. It's not just, you know, the experience of majority of women. I cannot think of anybody I know as a woman who has not had an experience like this or just grows up. So it's part of them. You know, I, I think of my first jobs, um, you know, at 16 and the language that was used. I think about taking the train and it just being a regular thing. I used to live in, in Watford. And so I take the Met line from London home and there were from more Park. Leo knows it well, that there would be several stops. There'd be very few people on the train. I remember on a regular occurrence, I would be the only person in a carriage and a man coming and sitting right next mm. to me. And that was a standard part of, of my growing up. And I'm pretty sure that if I talked to my 17-year-old stepdaughter, it would be a, it would be the same, that it, her experiences would be exactly the same. And it it's really difficult to try and explain that. And so I think whatever we think about whether people should be out on the, at, the, at the vigil... I think people needed to be. I think people felt, all of us, of course, our hearts are going out to save Everard's family and her friends. And it's when we're not trying to make it our experience, but I think that many of us felt this personally. Um, and um, I think people wanted to be out there because they felt the need to express that sense of fear and despair and um Solidarity. You know, by the grace, solidarity. Yeah. By the grace of God, go I. And I, I, I think I understand why people felt the need to be there. I totally understand it, and I was just blown away by the crassness, the just crassness of the police's behaviour, the just political stupidity as much as anything else. I mean, in terms of what it was going to look like if they went in heavy, I just don't understand. You know, I, particularly I when there's so many recent comparisons. I'm sure it isn't. But the policeman who is sitting there has a job that he is being told he has to do and I absolutely agree that the pe- mm. that it's wrong I'm absolutely agreeing it's wrong but the problem is he has he is literally given a job to stand there and do what he or she is having to do and it's horrible it's you're putting people in an un tenable or an unsupportable position and and that's that's really tough i think it's super tough because there are rules that they are here to uphold of course the biggest single rule to uphold is the one rule that was completely and utterly smashed to pieces which is that a human life was taken and and from a male perspective everything that charlie has just said is horrible to hear and it's and it's absolutely the truth from even from perspective of saying I have a daughter who's absolutely going through exactly the same things and I'm sure has had exactly not I'm sure that isn't even the, even close to being correct it's 1000% it's happening because it does and also when I was growing up you sit there the it's not about moral compass it's just about you know that th- you were brought up with thinking mm. is 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 permitted and it, and it's just Permitted is maybe not even the right word. I don't think I was ever brought up thinking anything was permitted. Definitely not. I was brought up by my mum and my nan, you know, in very much a female household, a very strong female household. I have a wife. I've got two daughters now. So I don't think you ever think it's permitted. But I think you don't realise how bad the situation is unless Mm. you're female and you've lived that life. I think you can never understand another person's position. So I I think 
the fact that this is all being talked about now and shared socially is good. I think it's very good. I think one of the worst things that trended, and a friend of mine put it on his social media, was that, you know, the hashtag not all men. And fair enough, as a man, and if you've never been that way, sometimes you feel a little bit attacked when people are talking about this. But, you know, that doesn't matter, does it? Who cares about that? You should not be trending there. The one thing that I spoke to my wife about, she's very heated about this, annoyed at me that I've not shared anything about it and how men should be not, you know, just be making sure they're not threatening women in any way and going out of their way to make sure women feel safe. Was I talked about our daughter. Now, my daughters are young. I've got a two-year-old and I've got a seven-year-old. And I talked about my seven-year-old and I said, 100 I'm going to, you know, teach her some sort of martial arts or take her to some self-defense. My wife was angry about it. And she was Mm. like, that is not the discussion. The discussion isn't women should have to do something to feel safe. The discussion should be what are men going to do to make women not feel like they've got to learn martial arts or know how to take someone down or scream or shout or carry mace with them. I mean, this is, again, as I talked about at the start, I worry about having an opinion because I worry about offending everyone by saying something that's not right. But, you know... I guess at some point you've got to have an opinion on it. And the opinion is that it's bad. And Leah, what you were saying, that it's a difficult job for the police. Yes, it is difficult. It was never not going to be difficult. But if ever there was a time, I mean, think of the optics. I mean, even if you're going to think politically about it, think of the optics. The, the, The view of two policemen kneeling on a woman wearing a mask is going to do you more harm than letting a thousand people, a hundred people, I don't know how many people are at that vigil, do what they're doing. And it seemed like they were doing it spread out. And it seemed like other police forces in Nottingham and around managed to do it without what happened in Brighton yeah, and what exactly. happened in London. Exactly. And I think it's not so much, I mean, I think, Leo, you're right. It's not It's not about the individual police officers because, you know, they were acting under whatever the orders and whatever the operational decisions that had been made. It was higher up, the decision that was... It's like we are going to stop this happening in whatever way, shape or form, where, as OJ said, in other parts of the country, they were not doing that. And also in previous demonstrations over the last 12 months, they hadn't done that. So just the political optics of it, they just seem very odd and misjudged. It reminds me of when we were talking about what happened in the capital Uh, in America and not about the response and reaction and the optics as you say of these things and thing maybe because light is being shone under stones that were hidden for a very long time a lot of this stuff also started when we were talking about me too a lot of it Mm. was talking about black lives matter all of these things are talking about things that historically have just been happening and ignored if that's the right way of saying it, happening ignored. How do we allow to think it's acceptable to walk around and go to nightclubs with date rape stuff and pour it into drinks? Why are we even having this argument? Like my daughter will carry her own straw. She'll carry her own thing to cover a drink. As you said, OJ, she shouldn't need to do that. No, it's, it's just so difficult. It's just so difficult. I mean, I, I think because I feel like I'm somebody who's never put, put myself in a position where I've mm. threatened a woman or made her feel, a woman feel uneasy, that's not saying I never have. And I think possibly my views on it have been entrenched. So when it all happened, I was like, oh, well, that's obviously not me. But I think we've all got to learn. We've all got to grow. We've all got to check our behaviours. Isn't there a huge thing here about um, how we raise our boys? Now, I have one daughter and I don't have any sons. 
Charlie, you've got one son. But I mean, regrettably, I don't think this is something that's going to change in the short term, because I think, you know, there are guys over there out there who have just been brought up to see women in a certain way. And, you, you know, some you get to a point where people can't change. But then if you look at the next generation, that is where we really can be focusing our efforts to make sure that the boys who are growing up now do not see women as a commodity as someone to kind of catcall as a sexual object but then when I think about what boys can access online in terms of images of women in terms of how do you get them to respect women when the images of them that they can so readily see on their phones can be so demeaning but is it, is it also not bad if women are accessing those images as well and seeing how they are being portrayed and they well, end yes, up that, almost that, putting themselves into that situation thinking that absolutely, that's accepted that's of another them. huge issue those it images both yeah. parts of that which is not right I, I think if you look back even in turning into something like biblical and you read when you see words like they say rape and pillage like it was just two words when you see that in in previous things like it was just something that happens i honestly think that things will change things are changing despite what i said at the beginning of this conversation because i think the definitions of gender are changing and perhaps my children are an example of it but my son aj is growing up like you did you know with in a strong female family with you know with great male role models around but i think that is shaping him but i also just think that the society that he's surrounded in you know leo joked about being able to say i love you he gets out of the car you know in front of his mates and he will say i love you mum." and actually my daughter won't even hold my hand when crossing the road you know and our, our notions of, of gender are changing and I think that with the, it it will be a slow burn but mm. with the way that gender is changing the sense of power is changing and the perception of what is masculinity is changing and we do have to educate our boys but we also have to educate our girls as well to support that change in um, the way that gender is perceived and not to find strength and weakness and emotion and showing emotion and all of that in the same in the same way and women will be physically less strong than men on the whole on the whole and actually I'm a big believer in teaching our daughters self-defense not because I want them to live in a world where they can um, where they're going to need to use it but I think it, you know having been somebody who grew up doing uh, self-defense it gives you confidence walking well, along the, the lock street on the door. It's the lock on the door. It's this and this and this and this. And it's good physically and it's good for for mentality as well, having worked a lot in martial arts. May I ask a question? And I'm going to apologise for the question before because it Mm -hmm. might be very agricultural and it may be be wrong. When we're talking theologically about teachings, now obviously you all work in that field. From what I know, and I'm talking possibly more about Christian texts because I've I've never read... As I say, this is a very uninformed question that's coming here. A lot of it is male-dominated. A lot of it comes in a certain way. Some of the teachings treat women in a certain way. How do you how do you interpret that to change the teachings when you're talking to a younger Jewish audience to make sure people are growing up? When you're talking about this holy book and you're talking about the scripture and something that's been written down and something that you teach your whole faith from, how do you take that and make it less based on a male perspective and make sure that everyone grows up a little bit better? The question that you've asked is one of the biggest questions I think that faces any progressive religion but I think we start with the idea of the concept of authority so when you talk about this is the teaching it's um it gives it an authority that it can't change whereas I think about it 
as these are the teachings, right? And so Judaism has at its heart a sense of interpretation and that revelation is continuous. It happens in every generation. And so that we read it each time with our own eyes. And so I'm looking not because it's definitive. All of our, every single person that you find in the Torah is, or in the Bible is flawed, right? All of them. There's not one person from Moses to Joseph to Sarah to Rebecca. None of them... Are, are complete people they all have flaws and same as our text is flawed our text is shaped by the moment that it was written in it's the fact that we keep reading it and keep finding something new in it which is why that's a holy text and something else isn't and so for our women and for our young women and for our young men it's about looking at the stories that weren't written and reading between the lines and being able to help people find themselves um, in in the text and wrestling with it right so sometimes what we're wrestling with is a teaching that doesn't work that feels you know some teachings about homosexuality or who shall lie together or you know relevance of what what's this with two materials that can't go next it seems completely irrelevant but struggling with it and going well what are we going to do with that how are we going to see ourselves reflected there how are we going to acknowledge that this happened in our in in a different time and we're rewriting it differently struggling with those difficult texts is in of itself revelation for me is in of itself a religious act and that's why we need religious leaders that reflect our congregations in that because they're the ones that are going to help people see themselves reflected in that text i look at it like uh if you found the service manual for a morris minor 1950s um it was absolutely right when it was printed (laughs) yeah but it was printed manual exactly but it was printed at the time (laughs) with the way to do it but it doesn't mean to say that is how you service a modern day car today it's still some of it's relevant some of it isn't some of it's passed on some of it was good practice at the time some of it's changed and you have to look at it and say some of this and the meaning and the direction was right, but it may not be there. This is me quoting, this is going to be interesting. So this week's parasha is about the fact that if you worked on a Sabbath, you could be killed or you, you, you should put to death anybody who works on a Sabbath. And you sit there and you go, well, how do you actually put that into perspective today's world? If you light a fire, you should be, you know, you should be put to death. There is reasons at the time, I'm sure, about saying you must do this, you know, and maybe it's that same argument when parents sort of turn around and go, if you do that one more time, I'm going to murder you. That sort of argument. But in the reality of where we are now, yes, it is written down, but maybe it was written down and we've got to interpret what was needed at the time and the reason why. Apologies. And please don't think that I'm, I'm quizzing you here about this. But if you're teaching from what you're saying is a flawed manual, you know, to take your Morris Minor quote from, you know, the Haynes spiritual manual of the 1950s, if you're quoting from something which is flawed, how do you base a religion based on teachings from so long ago? I think it's um, the, the eyes that you're looking through are um, kind of, I think, the way that a lot, of, a lot of the time people understand religion, which is religion's dictatorial and it doesn't change and it's um, located in one place. Whereas actually, I think that, um, you know, let's let's take uh, Leonard Crowen, you know, it's, uh, it's the cracks, that's how the light gets in, right? It's, it's, a, it's a different way of looking at religion. Religion is not located in one moment and that moment is in and of itself the way you're looking back to and I think it's particularly in Judaism Judaism is about wrestling it's about wrestling with um, as many questions as there are answers as soon as the Torah was written on top of that you have layers and layers of interpretation that go with every generation so if you take Leo's law about killing somebody for the Sabbath what you find is all these like 
almost immediately commentary that are about not finding a circumstance where that happens. And so what you're looking for is what's the what's the ethic here? And ethics may not change. They do, but they may not change. But ethics can be more universal than a specific law. And to look at something, I think also you have to remember you're talking to three progressive Jews. So we believe in the idea of progression. But even within the most traditional elements of Judaism, there's a recognition that truth is not permanent in one space. Perhaps the only thing that's like absolutely is that there's one God. Now, what does it mean even to say that there's one God? What is that God? What's that look like? That also changes. There's an idea of there being a multitude of faces of God. And that's because there's an understanding that people see it in different ways. But I think it's also the same about bringing any belief or anything forward. So the American Constitution has been revised 25 times. But look at the arguments over that. Look at the arguments over what's going on with the Constitution at the moment and who should be prosecuted and when. That comes absolutely down to the eye of the beholder. Absolutely. Right. And that's about authority. And I think the point is, is that it doesn't have to be one authority. Well, you have to be, and this is what I think is liberal Judaism we try to be, is the place that can hold multiple perspectives and multiple opinions and have those difficult conversations and in and of itself that's religion and that's what we forget often with religion we think that religion is one way right just one path and actually I think religion is about being able to have the conversation and create the safe space to have that conversation now that if you wanted to say what am I going to give my kids about religion is to know that they can ask any question just like you did they can ask any question and I'm not going to shout down or religion is not going to shout down their answer we're going to try and work through what that looks like and where they see their face in religion and their understanding. And my feeling is that even in, even if you give a definitive or what you feel is a definitive answer today, the reality is in six weeks time that answer changes because the world that we're in is changing. And it's when you don't, when you don't do, and you don't look at what's happening in society, you don't look what's happening around you, and you sit there and say, but that's the way we're doing it, that's the way we're doing it, that's the way we do it. That's when you end up eventually losing uh, re- relevance to the rest of the world. And that we've seen a poor model of one person, one answer, right? Mm-hmm. Look at Trump. Look at other countries where there's one leader, one voice. And we think often that the opposite to that is weakness. And actually the opposite to that is absolutely not weakness. It's I'll give you a, an straight. example outside of our own religion is uh, the Catholic change um, recently where the Pope has said, so he hasn't rolled back on cre- creationism and what was said by the previous Pope, but he has actually admitted or allowed the conversation to move forward. And that's the reality. You have to move forward. It will take a long time for certain things to change. And I think, you know, going back to some of the hard subjects we were talking about earlier, you can actually see where in religion that some of those attitudes towards women have come from. Because it was literally, you look at this, it's like the edict is do this and then this is how you treat the women in that. And, and it's, it's, it's literally written down and you're, you, we have to move that conversation forward okay right so let's uh let's lighten up again i think it's been quite heavy and we're going to have a very quick rapid fire cultural round in terms of what people have been watching uh leo go uh, i've actually i know i'm really old on this uh last to, last to the party of watching diesel so i'm uh, last of the party i'm sure of watching what what's that oh schtitzel <laughs> Uh, well, I mean anything to AJ at all. I, is, is this a, is this a is this a Jewish thing? Yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. But it no, isn't. it's a brilliant Netflix 
kind of soap opera, very soft comedy. It's just coming up to its third series. I think its third series it's is going to be released for a third series, which is coming out later. Yeah, it's month. going to be yeah. But the first two series is available on Netflix. It's set in a Haredi community in Jerusalem, and it's actually a lot of a lot of non-Jewish people have discovered it and loved it because it's just very. It's human. about family. And it's yeah. just a family. It's got no. It, it's 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 that same thing where we all used to, as we talked about before on this, we all used to watch. Uh, goodness gracious me! And you can relate to the things that happened in it, even if you're, it's not in your family. Hmm. Okay, what, so what, Leo has discovered Stitzel. OJ, what about you? Well, same sort of pronunciation at the start, but I'm going Shits Creek. Now, I'm late, to the, party on, I'm late to the party on Shits Creek, but I, you know, I think it's absolutely wonderful. And the problem is, because of the times I work and the rest of it, we don't have a lot of time to sit on the sofa together, me and my wife, so it's always got to be stuff that's short. So you can, yeah, you can bang perfect. on a couple of episodes and get through it. And I just think Shits Creek is so brilliantly written, it's so brilliantly acted. And the best thing is, now obviously... Oh, I forget his name. The dad of the family. So the dad of the family, Johnny Rose. His son is obviously David Rose. Do you know who his daughter is? His actual real life daughter in the program. It is. It's the the waitress in the program. Yeah, yeah, I did know that. I did know that. But I love Shit's Creek. And just very quickly bringing it all the way back round to Mother's Day. So my daughter got me a card with Moira Rose on it. Happy Mother's Day for me, a baby. I like to think I'm Alexa. My daughter tells me I am very much Moira. In fact, she so she sent me a whole clip of compilations of Moira being a really bad mother, and said, "Here you go. This is for you." Anyway, Charlie, how about you? What have you been watching? Oh, I've been uh, binge watching Your Honor. Um, oh, on, I've heard uh, that's Sky good. Atlantic, very, very, very good. But one for um, when we have more time to discuss it because yeah, no, raises I have a lot of issues. Heard, yeah, I've also heard that one's good. Okay, so. OJ, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, we I've are honoured and privileged. No. Um, <laughs> can you tell us where people can find you online if they want to hear more from you? You mean I've got to tell people where Radio 2 is? No, I refuse to. Everyone two, knows where Radio 2 is. Any social media profiles you have. Uh, yeah, OJ Borge on Twitter, OJ underscore Borge on Instagram. But then I wouldn't want to push people towards that because I do stupid stuff on both of them. Please follow me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, follow for the stupid stuff. Leo. Where, we, where can people find you? You can find me as WFC Kigo on Twitter. You can also find me on Clubhouse. And recently I've just started my new uh, live weekly program, Synagogue Tech, which uh, went out first episode last week. Ah, good plug. And Charlie, where can we find you? You can find me as Rab Charlie on Twitter, um, as Charlie Beginski on Facebook, and occasionally on Pause for Thought with OJ. Yeah, come back soon. I miss you on Pause for Thought. And I've loved, can I just say, I've loved doing this. I've really loved doing this. It's been Aww. fascinating. It's been interesting. And I love how Charlie took it all the way back to mixed martial arts by saying she wrestles with the Torah regularly. <laughs> Fantastic. Well done. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please do give us a five star review and subscribe we are on all the main podcast feeds thank you very much and see you soon goodbye bye bye (laughs) what's jewish for bye how do i say in hebrew shalom 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 shalom